So are we going to do something erotic for episode 69? Sure. It's expected of us. Well, how about record an orgy? I should bite some friends With over. Jello. Is it expected of us? Not yeah, jello, it's not, not jello, it stains your skin. We're not really an no, erotic not. podcast. It disturbs me, you know, that you know that as a fact. Oh, I had a girlfriend that did jello wrestling for uh, charity for her nudist colony, and she was pink for months, and she couldn't explain why she... So we're changing in junior high, and everyone's like, why do you have pink on your back? And she's like, uh... Wait, wait, junior, junior high? high? Yeah. What kind of what? fun? <laughs> Underage jello wrestling? For the nudist colony. That doesn't make it better. <laughs> so we're Everyone to another fantastic episode of Fangs and Fonts. <laughs> that <laughs> rising crescendo. I'm the illustrious Ocean. I'm Roland. I'm Yan Yan. I'm Voice. And we have and our I'm Fugue. Yes, we have our special guest Fugue today from Sofa Wolf. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise, I like who's this dude? <laughs> what are his qualifications? Random person on the street <laughs> pulled in to talk about today. Uh, technical writing skills, which has been a topic that I've, I've I've talked to a lot of people on, because you know everyone usually talks about well, well your story makes sure your characters are good and your plot and all this, but there's always a, that aspect of just writing constructively well with proper grammar and correct spelling and good structure, and it's usually not talked about mostly because a lot of these things are looked at uh, in in a textbook sense almost. You know, you want to learn how to redo a comma? Well, here's all the rules for a comma. But there seems to be a little more than that, and we want to investigate. Fugue, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Fugue, I'm seen as at cons occasionally as Pangolin. I'm one of the few Pangolins in the fandom. Uh, reader, writer, editor, going back a number of years in the fandom. Um, been working with Sofa Wolf Press for a number of years. I've done some editing on various projects, uh, novels, magazines, whatever they can toss my way. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, congratulations on the nomination for Heat for the Ursa Major. We hope we beat you. <laughs> you have enough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how good our chance is, but... <laughs> I don't know that Heat has actually done that well in the Earth's Majors recently. I, I didn't know Heat... Has Heat ever been nominated before? I think we won the first couple of years Heat was out. Hmm. Well, it's, but, it's, I think in part it was, like, it was the, the new cool thing when it first came out, but now that a couple of years have come... <laughs> it's like, ah, Heat, yeah. That was kind of crusty. Whack, whack, that was a good night. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's there. It's the stable thing. It's not new or interesting. You are no longer shiny. Well, I think I think like Roar and Fang have also gotten the same treatment, though. Roar was Roar got a nominee as well this year, but in the past it's been like, yeah, that's Roar, that's Fang. Yeah, but, they kind of just exist. Yeah, it was good to see Heat, Heat on the list again. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But yeah, you're an editor as well, so <laughs> I'm sure you have your share of beefs. <laughs> any any you'd like to to dip in to start us off? Oh, gosh. Um, so, I mean, one of the wonders of Sofa Wolf, of course, is the uh, Sofa Wolf slush pile. And in the Sofa Wolf slush pile, there, there tends to be, like, lots of different levels of quality. And 
usually at the bottom rung of quality in submissions it tends to be the stuff where it's like, is English your first language? <laughs> <laughs> and often, sadly, it tends to be. Is this a yes. hobby thing for you? I, I mean, yes. speaking. There are a number of, what's the best term? English not first language writers who tend to write English better than a lot of English yeah. first language writers I know. <laughs> I, I've met too many ESL <clears throat> users that write better English than the, the native speakers. <laughs> Words. And something I wonder if is it, if that isn't just a a different approach to the way the language works. Or it could just be they're more conscious of the rules because they've. <clears throat> had to pay attention them whereas we just grew up abusing the rules yeah i think that's largely it in a world where you've grown up where this is the norm you tend to be a little more lax with the rules as somebody who comes in who say new japan japanese came and learned english they're going to be a lot more Stringent. aware well, of we, what we learn our are. language mostly from speaking you know talking amongst ourselves and speaking and we, we, we do still get reading in that but as someone who's learning a second language usually books are their first start like, start <clears throat> my knowledge of english the the written english language never really came from english class it came from reading other stories deciphering other people's writings and looking at what they did not from some book that was telling me the the structure of the english language and so I, I want to ask I want to ask you a question, Fugue. As um, three of us here have also done our own, are working on our own anthologies or done them. Um, when when you're going through that slush pile and you find those stories that are maybe it's a good story, but the 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 quality, like the technical writing, is I don't know. Let's we could say atrocious. <laughs> how, how does how does that affect you when you're looking if this should be a piece that's in in the anthology or not? Or in, the, in heat or in hot dish or whatever you're working on? Well, we have kind of our notion of how we grade a story is based not on necessarily the direct quality of the story, but in part based on how much work do we think needs to be done in order to bring it up to so full of standards. Mm -hmm. So our kind of top tier of story isn't even necessarily the best story. It's the stories we think we have to put the least amount of work into. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and we don't always pick those stories because sometimes they're just they're not what we're looking for. Um, but certainly we have published stories from authors who have had significant technical flaws. But the more technical flaws we see, the more we're like, oh, this is going to take a lot of work. And, oh, that's going to take a lot of work. And, oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so usually... Like there's the tier of writer who has almost no technical flaws in their writing whatsoever, and you can just say, okay, yeah, I don't need to worry about that. Um, then there's certainly like a kind of a tier beneath that where there's some, you know, minor technical errors that crop up frequently throughout. Um, then there's kind of a tier beneath that where you're kind of going, well, okay, you've got multiple problems going on here. And it's going to take a long time to go through and copy edit a story like that. And that's about the point where we start going, not so sure on that one. Um, if the story really grabs us, then we'll probably still take it. Um, but at that point, the story has to be really, really good. Yeah. yeah. The moment you start saying, well, okay, now you've got a bunch of different technical flaws in the 
prose of the story, then we're kind of going, and eh, no, let's just, let's not go there. <laughs> so it, too much work. it definitely helps to have a well, a technically well-written story when you're submitting. Yes. It definitely increases your chances. Yes. I, I know for in Inhuman Acts, um, if you read the last story, which is Great Flag's story, he sent us that one. And sorry, Great Flake, if you're listening, that story was atrocious for proofreading. And he, he knows this, I'm sure, because I ended up sending it back to him going, we really like this story. And if anyone reads it, it's a very good story. But we, we gave him like a month. Please fix as much as you can, resubmit it, and we'll take we'll take a look at it again. And it still was a lot of proofreading, but it was a lot of... It, you have to have a very good story in order for us to overlook the amount of effort that you're going to put into... Like our time. <laughs> well, it was like abandoned places. We had the same thing. We had a story that I read, and I was like, "This is perfect. This is really horrific. This is awesome." And where most stories went through one, maybe two edits, this guy went through four different editors, and I actually had to reach outside our group and pull in another person to help edit, just because it was. <clears throat> every time I would get edits out, I would get edits back, and the errors that were there were still there. Especially on the rewrites, and it's like, uh, you're just adding errors. Why? <laughs> Having gone through much of the slush pile for abandoned places and punked included, there, um, you'll remember which story I've been having. <laughs> well, there's actually two, um, and I, I'm pretty sure Slip knows this as well, but his was very difficult to re- review and <clears throat> read through for very different reasons than the other one that I had issues with. Um, Slips used a very he used a lot of flowery language and it made it very hard to 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 edit and actually go through whereas the other one was Boo Hat (laughs) (laughs) that that wasn't even one of the ones I was thinking of but um are you thinking it, the one with the with the other world? I was and, thinking Dust Factory. Oh, Dust oh, that Factory. One. <laughs> uh, that one was very difficult to edit because there was not a lot of continuity and a lot of the description just wasn't there, <clears throat> as well as a lot of the technical writing skills. So what what does it mean then to write technically well? What are we talking about when we when we say that we're looking that we like to see stories that are already written well? Before even getting into the characters and plot and such. Dot your T's, cross your eyes, using the Oxford comma, or not. <laughs> Phew, I keep, every, every time you reject my stories from Heat, you guys say that I am a technically, I, I write technically well. Yes. <laughs> Please elaborate what that means. Um, so what that means is that the mechanics of your sentences and your paragraphs do the job that sentences and paragraphs are supposed to do. Yay, um, words! <laughs> <laughs> um, I put words in the correct order. Yes. <laughs> which, which is, of course, like the, the baseline idea of what technical writing, good technical writing is about, which is, okay, you need to spell words correctly, you need to put words in the right order, you need to punctuate correctly. Uh, things need to be structured so that they have a natural logical progression from beginning to end, not only within a sentence, but also from sentence to sentence. Um, there needs to be a logical uh, progression of information that's given out to the to the reader. And all of that sort of stuff combines together to give the base of technical writing skills. So the way that I see it a lot is that 
Um, when, when you're writing a scene or something, you're trying to convey an emotion um, or a goal, some character motivation, something in your story. And when you don't write technically well, people generally will just start stumbling like you're on a road and you're hitting a rock and a bump and another bump. And because you're not structuring it well, people can never really get the full ride of what you're trying to, what you're trying to, what's the word, pervade. But there's that level where it is just the punctuation marks and the very textbook, you know, this is where you put a period, uh, this is the correct grammar term. But like you said, there's that's the proofreading level, but we still have the copywriting or the copy editing level. Yes. And that's where we're getting into does your sentence form a complete thought? Does this make sense in this in the sense of a paragraph as a whole? Does your paragraph are you using the, the lightning bug word or are you using the lightning word to badly paraphrase Mark Twain? <laughs> um, lightning bugs. And, and I, I have this phrase that I always kind of just gets drilled in my skull every time I edit of clarity, clarity, clarity. Do I know what is going on here? Never. Um, so, <laughs> I'm a, Dang it, Yonora. <laughs> keep breaking me. <laughs> That's what she does. High five. <laughs> That's why she's on this podcast is to break people. <laughs> she looks all cute and innocent. And then I open my mouth. <laughs> Ah, yep. So, would like over over verbose language, very flowery language, uh, would that cut into being clarity or using clarity in your sentences and such? It can. It doesn't have to. Um, so, of course, there's the idea of the purple prose, but it's not like using lots of adjectives or using lots of adverbs or using very flowery language is bad unto itself. It can be done well. Um, what was I just thinking of the other day? Um, guy who wrote the Yiddish Policeman's Union, Michael Chabon, right? He uses very, very rich descriptions of lots of things, and it works. Mm-hmm. So why does it work in some cases and not work in others? And I usually come down to it comes to the clarity of the idea that is being or we're trying to be expressed. And if you're using lots of adjectives that add to the image overall that you're trying to express, that's great. If you're using lots of adjectives because they sound nice and they don't actually do anything, then no. <laughs> but I ran quickly. I didn't just run. Or whisper quietly. <laughs> whisper quietly is probably... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mm. you're, hurting me. you're hurting me right here. Oh, it's, it's hurting <laughs> what me. did I read the other day? This was something like semi-published where it was like, suddenly he slowly dragged something up. <laughs> like, <Wow>. Wait, what? <laughs> I think you could pull out just about any chapter of Dan Brown and find a bunch of those. <laughs> Thank you. Someone else who doesn't like Dan Brown. <laughs> see, well, I could I, already be a guest again. <laughs> see, see, I don't like him because I did religious studies and a lot of the crap that he was pulling out is just flying in the face of like all the schooling I did. And it's just like, Really? Really? Let me go into this in-depth two-hour talk about the pentacle and his screwing up of it. <sighs> I think someone... What, what's the famous line of Dan Brown? He walked down the street with the legs that were attached to his body. <laughs> and it's just like, um, yes, of course. No, they could have been Frankenstein-y and could have belonged to someone else. I mean, you Maybe never he know. had robotic trousers. Or he could have, you know... 
pop the wench's legs off like little Barbie dolls. There's certainly... And then he's sort of using them as little four-legged canes. He's got a walker with these hooker legs. It'd be great. There's, there's certain, yep, hooker leg hooker walker. Legs. There's certainly a way you can describe things that leave the implied meanings implied. And <laughs> now, now, at the same time, you don't want to just be absolute and, you know, the tablecloth was red. Well, sure, you could say the tablecloth is red. You could say, you know, the tablecloth... Right, but there, like there's a complete difference between, whatever. like, he jolted down the street and he ran quickly. There's... Yeah, he jolted very quickly down the street. Like, there's no reason for any of that. Mm. As opposed to when you're saying it was a red tablecloth, what what shade of red was it? Yeah. It was a rouge tablecloth, or it was turquoise. And... Isn't rouge just French <clears throat> for red? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you contradict me. It's fancy. <laughs> it means we can charge $20 more for the tablecloth. <laughs> Excuse me, this is not red. That is common. This is rouge. That's next. I, I'm sure somewhere in interior design, red and rouge are two completely different shades of red. Uh, that, that reminds me, off tangent, Mark was uh, one time I was asking, like, what's the difference between, like, chipotle mayo and chipotle aioli? And my one friend who went to cooking school was, yeah, my teacher just said you put a little bit of garlic in called aioli, charge $5 more. That's it. <laughs> it is the, it's just fancy mayo, people. It's fancy mayo. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I have a friend who works in a fancy restaurant down in the south, and he's he's a dick like that all the time. It's, it's like, thank God I've known you since high school, but you're still a dick. <laughs> but getting back to um, getting back to where we were. Um, so th- this is where I start to have tr- issues, because it's always hard for me trying to explain to people, like, how you should construct your paragraph or how you should construct a sentence. Uh, you, there's always the, the textbook grade school, well, your paragraph should have an introductory sentence and, you know, your meat and potatoes and then your closeout sentence, and it should be kind of a well-contained thought generally. Speaking as an academic, I really want to throttle my old teachers for teaching me that. <laughs> that could be fun. I could, I'm sure it works great <sighs> for Betty it sounds Yeah, it sounds more, much more like an essay Stated that way. It's like the the standard five paragraph essay where you need to have a thesis statement and your thesis needs to be a declarative statement. And then after your declarative statement, you need to have three body paragraphs. And your body paragraph needs to have a topic. And your topic needs to be followed by a a sequence of statements. Having a question. Me too. I'll submit my homework, teacher. I don't, I don't think I can we're continue. Focusing, we're focusing on, like, I'm, narratives. I'm and... thinking about final exams. <laughs> so, Notice me, senpai. I'll do your three paragraphs. I've, I've seen enough stories where people write, like, three-sentence three paragraphs every, every... That's all they do. And then people yep. were... It'll just be the whole page is one paragraph because they don't know where to break them and separate them or when to put them together. Yes. What, do, what do you guys think is the best... Well, I, I certainly don't limit myself to having three sentence paragraphs or. Well, you can have a three like sentence paragraph. You know, I can have a sentence one sentence paragraph. paragraph. I can have a one word paragraph. But, but how do you determine what's the best? And I'm not saying, you know, well, when, three when is the too par- many. When the paragraph has right. conveyed my entire thought, that's when I stop the paragraph. That's always been my idea. So you're trying to express a thought in a paragraph, what you're saying. Right. The, yeah. the thought should begin. And conclude in the same paragraph. Yeah, typically. I and mean, you can like, have multiple thoughts in a scene, and you know. yeah, exactly. What about yeah, I would? I would think of it more as you have a focus for a given paragraph, 
So if you're doing a bit of description, you might have a character who's walking into a room and, okay, you have a paragraph where you might describe the quality of the room. Or if it's a conversation, then each paragraph is a bunch of a one person's conversation, their complete thought, together with whatever actions they're doing as they're saying it. Or maybe it's an action scene, and so the a single paragraph should define one set string of actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely like that action one, too. It's almost, what I like to do with action scenes is think, um, it's almost like each one is a different angle. You know, when you're, yeah. you're, you're it's like, like you're just this, from this angle, this happens, and then we switch to this angle, and we see what this happens. And it's you like keep your your, pacing, your beats with it. But, yeah, mm -hmm. I, you know, using your paragraph to give, what is the focus, what am I trying to, what at first, what am I using this paragraph to do? Am I focusing on this room? Are these people talking about something? Is there something going on in the background they don't know? What are these person's actions right now? And containing that in some form. And another thing I think people have issues is trying to, they have too many things going along in one paragraph. That If they're not something sequential that are happening right after each other, then really you could even separate those into their own two paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Good. We figured out paragraphs, I guess. <laughs> so what about sentences, then? Oh, boy. That's that's his own whole thing. The construction of a good sentence. Mm -hmm. um, because, like, a paragraph is meant to contain a full thought in all, all the detail it needs to be expressed in. But a sentence could convey a piece of that thought. Maybe it conveys a bunch of different variations on the thought. There's the whole, the art of writing the sentence is too big to be talked about in probably an entire podcast. We probably need to do two or three. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of thesis papers. Yes. Paragraphs. A dissertation or two in there. I, I do think that um, uh, it's very, it's much easier to take a sentence out of context than a paragraph out of context. Yes. Um, the, the the sentences represent sort of a portion of the idea that you're trying to convey because they may specify a very specific point, but then the next sentence, <clears throat> depending on what you've written, is completely changes the meaning. <laughs> well, see, the, mo the most common error that I've come across and when it comes in regards to sentences is just... And it's, it's amazing how easy of a mistake it is, like with the subject of your sentence and as you're going through your sentence, it changing. And just because they haven't structured it properly so that you get to the end of the sentence and you're just like, but they were talking about this thing in the beginning and now they're talking about this thing. How did that happen? And it's within a sentence because it's so small. You're kind of just like, how, how? And, you know, it could just be a misplaced comma. It could just be just the way that they worded it, where it's just like, Okay. Now what? That's not right. I don't know. Do you guys find that? I think you can do a lot of things with sentences. You can, you know, yeah, you can keep them short for a quicker pacing <clears throat> or long and drawn out because you well, want to elaborate it, on what's going on. It, it makes me think of the um, the little snippet comics that go around. It's like, let's eat, Grandpa, or let's eat, Grandpa. <laughs> Help Uncle Jack off the horse. And, you know, that's a very concise way of describing how you can do a sentence improperly. It's, if your intention wasn't to eat your grandfather, well, then congratulations, you failed. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, if you're a cannibal, maybe you succeeded. Uh, per perhaps this is uh, some sort of cannibalistic 
world, like uh, Ocean Story or which one? Well, not the cannibalistic <laughs> world, but the uh, the Pred and Prey world. With the duck. Ban- oh. Banjo shotgun. Banjo shotgun. <laughs> that needs to be a title of the story. But that's there's... my story in uh, Paul. The... Yes. Banjo shotgun with fugue. Well, Grey Flank's story involves um, specifically cannibalism. Um, and, yeah, well, I, I can pull out a list of stories that deal with this. There seem to be many ways that you can mess up a sentence and not enough time to cover them all. So if we don't have time to cover, like, what, what can we at least tell people, at least for advice on how to figure out what's going on? Or if you're seeing people with bad sentence structure and you want to help explain... I've always written my sentences how I would speak them normally, which gives you a sort of an opportunity to consider where your your commas and your periods are going to go. It may not be right, but it's probably going to come out come out a lot nicer than if you were. Yeah, that's an interesting no, thing. I find. Yeah. Do do you? I want your opinion on this one. Do you think that um, prose should be structured in the same sense that if someone was speaking it, it would be the same? Let me qualify this. Um, <laughs> yes and no. Um, the way in which it's no is that when we speak, we have a bunch of things that we do that we should never write down. If you were to take a transcription of someone just giving a speech and write it down absolutely word for word, it would be gibberish on the page. Donald because Trump. everyone goes, ah, uh, and, <laughs> mm, and well, and you know that. And people never finish the idea that they started with. And so in that sense, no, don't try and make your writing sound like people speaking. There, I mean, there is a style of writing where you try and make it that literal, but I strongly, strongly discourage it. We <laughs> really know what you're doing. Um, but on the other hand, a really great editing technique and I wish everyone would do this, is read your work aloud. Yes. Because if you stumble at any point, realize that everyone else who's reading it reads with that mental voice going through, and if you're stumbling, they're going to stumble too. If you run out of breath, you're failing this. <laughs> Good chance, uh, yes. I, I would certainly agree with that. To write your sentence as though you were speaking it aloud, not the other way around. Well, when I was Speaking doing <laughs> when I was doing AP, there would be points where some of the edits I would send back to people, I'd just be like, "I read this out loud a number of times. Maybe it feels awkward." Well, we we read did it out loud yourself and consider changing it. We, we did that several well, times even, for abandoned places. Yeah. One of the stories you you showed us where we're reading, you're like, "She did this, and then she did that, and then she did this." Oh and yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay, I think we got it already. Um, <laughs> Much in that same vein, acting out your... <laughs> your yeah, in the middle uh, of a Starbucks, why not? Well, I mean, there's that whole picking up the box thing that we acted mm. out, where it just turned out to be completely impractical. Akimbo. But definitely reading aloud, you can start to find out where you're like, okay, maybe this is a little too wordy, or, oh, I didn't realize how much this repeats and kind of gets annoying in, the, in your head. Yeah, that's that, exactly why I wish more people would do it. Um <laughs> That said, there are certain aspects of sentence construction and paragraph construction that are really hard to pick up on your own until you've trained yourself to pick up on them. And that's because it's things where you know what you meant in the words, 
and therefore you aren't picking up where things are unclear and you just need to give it to other people to see where they are struggling with it. Uh, one of the big things I see with this in a lot of stories is uses of things like this and that and he and she using pronouns <laughs> without being clear what the antecedent of the pronoun is. Yeah. And therefore I kind of read through the story and I go, well, this happened. And I went, well, what's this? Well, who Who's said that? This thing? Yeah, who did the thing and who do I have to slap? That's, that's one I know that I've noticed is that if you're going to have a paragraph that has someone doing something and someone talking, make sure it's the same person. Otherwise, yes. it gets very weird when Voice put down his, his bottle of soda. Hi, guys, I'm here. And then there was actually Ocean saying that. Well, I, <laughs> you know? I, I actually, in one of the stories in my current slush pile, I came across where they had mostly it was told by two characters and after and then with a flashback and it happened where you had this person talking there was a flashback and then this person starts talking and describing their action and halfway through the paragraph you realize it's the other character not the one that was talking <laughs> I, before I, oh, I get so annoyed when you have two people going back and forth in a dialogue and i can't tell who's saying what uh-huh. and so i'm like this could mean completely different depending on who started the conversation <laughs> Yeah, that like, really gets on my grades, too. It's like, at some point, if you've got, you know, 12 lines of back and forth, you need to interject some sort of action that just kind of resets where someone is speaking. Because mm-hmm. I have to go back and reread something, especially if that you have that writer that writes the sentence, and then there's one right beneath it as, like, this is the, the, the parentheses speech, this is the parentheses speech, and then there's a line and something else, like, okay, so was that two people at one shot, or did they, why did they make it two, why is there not just, a, like, a period? Or, or you just associate what the characters are saying with an action that they're doing something to break up the monotony. Yeah. What we're really saying is get beta readers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like that one story I read where it was, the person had three people having a conversation in one paragraph. Nope. And it was just like, yeah, like literally it would, one person would be talking, it end, and instead of starting a new paragraph, it was a continuation of the dialogue, but it was all stuck in one con- one paragraph. So no. you're reading it going, who's saying what? Is this the same person? What's going on? For the easy proofreading stuff, generally, it's not too hard to Google that stuff up. There are um, so many guides on telling you how to use your commas correctly. And so many bad examples about why you're supposed to use the Oxford comma everywhere. Yes, but <laughs> before you even do that, you have to know kind of what to ask Google about. Um, and I mean that in the sense of, okay, commas. Everyone talks about commas. But what about point. participles? Right? If I say participles to a bunch of writers, there's a good chance of a fair number of them don't even know what that is. And if you don't know what it is, how can you understand what's going wrong with it? How do you know how to ask Google, what am I doing wrong with this? Why is the, the blue underline in <laughs> Word showing up? Clippy, help me out here. No. Um, so we believed in you. You were the chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of, I strongly recommend just looking at a little bit of English grammar um, from time to time, uh, I kind of recommend Wikipedia because you can just go there and you can go, oh, well, there's something talking about nouns here. Maybe I'll go read more about different types of nouns or there's something on verbs or there's something on adjectives or adverbs or adverbial phrases. That sounds so, boring. Yeah, suck it out. 
<laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. I want to get good at something with it <laughs> in a really quick amount of time without actually doing anything. Sound like all of my students. <laughs> I, I was trying to quote Futurama. It didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if the if the notion of a preposition scares you, what are you doing trying to write? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I, I mean, myself. There are writers out there who can completely avoid ever learning anything about grammar because maybe they're just amazing storytellers. But most of us aren't that good. We can't just rely on being amazing story crafters. We have to know the details of the craft. You have to know what tools you're actually using to construct these stories that you're creating. That much rings true for just about anything. Nothing that's worth doing is exactly easy. Same sense, you you like to increase your vocabulary because it opens more doors in your prose. Learning how the prose actually fits together and is constructed will help open doors to you. And when you actually spend the time looking at some of the more complex aspects of, say, things like writing, a lot of the more simple aspects are going to be a lot easier to do. And that's something that's valuable as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of aspects of English grammar which, yes, okay, there's a technical side of them, but we never really talk about them because they're just so common to us. Like, um, not only do we think of, okay, well, if you're going from a singular to a plural noun, how do you do that? Well, typically you add an S to the end. But here's the thing probably most people never think of. How do you go from a singular to a plural verb, at least in the present tense? Mm -hmm. You remove the S. Right? And that's Mm. a fairly hard and fast rule, even though we never really talk about it as such. So there's lots of aspects of grammar that, yes, you can't just kind of pick up by osmosis, but there's lots of stuff that is out there that, yeah, you do really need to actually understand what's going on here. You're, you're learning all this for your for your anthology, right? Yes. Like, yes. You're <laughs> locking this away in your head. Down straight. <laughs> I have to call it my Tigrox. Secret is I'm just Googling it. <laughs> Oh, how many times I googled stuff for just in human acts. Does the comma yeah. go here or here? Does that is that how that works? Well, and I mean, really, what's half an hour of research for something that you're going to be spending several hours of your time on, yeah. like in like per story? Well, plus, plus the more that I've found and learned, it goes into a repository. It's there. I don't have to look it up as often. Like, sure, there's still times where you're like, I think that's how it works. But the more you do it, the more you actually learn it and put it in your head. It's, the faster it comes, the quicker you're able to identify. No, that's well. You, that's you remember, not there. you remember in high school or college when, like, your teachers, like, yeah, you can totally write down this cheat sheet and bring it to class, and then you have all the people trying to write down every little detail. They're like, haha, I made you study. Like, that's all they're doing to you. They're making you read it and study <laughs> it. Well, and the fact that you're writing it down doesn't make sense. And difference. this goes back to the whole where everyone wants a hard and you know quick rule or way of just learning all the rules. And it's like, well, yeah, but the thing you don't seem to realize is, is if you repeat it and you constantly learn it, eventually it sticks, and then you never have to worry about it again. And I mean, even something as simple as beta reading other people's stories, you pick up where other people are failing. That translates into your own work. I know myself, I have almost like this sort of editor sense where I'll read something. I might not know what is wrong, but I'll be like, something is wrong with this sentence. 
Something is wrong right here. I'm not sure what it is. I might have to go look it up, but I'm quite positive. Something is wrong here, and I will fix it. It was like the last, the one right me where I was like, what's wrong with the sentence? Something is wrong with the sentence, and it is bugging the hell out of me. What is wrong with the sentence? And everyone's just staring at this one sentence, trying to figure it out. Usually the answer is just to rewrite it completely. But Just yeah. do it again. Just, just save it. And so on top of that, learn from your mistakes. Uh, it's very easy to not know you're making a mistake. I've done that many, many times. And then when someone points it out to you, you should go, oh, I did not know that. I now have that knowledge going forward. So there's no, no excuses after that. Especially if it's an editor saying that to you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, like, for me, I came from a rural background, so I didn't realize because of slang that there was a difference between then and then. <laughs> because of slang. See, because everyone's I, like, yeah, then, then we went down to here, and then we went over there, and you're just like, oh, okay. See, then, when I was younger, it was just because people that These are two separate words that I actually go, oh, and the light bulb came on, and now since every then I've gone... When I was younger, it was because people didn't know the difference. I mean, yeah. it, it's such... It's such a subtle but simple thing to understand, I've, I've always thought. Well, it was like my when my dad got a copy of AP, he read my story in it, and he comes up to me the first time he sees me after getting the book and goes, on this page, there is a problem with this possession and this character's sentence. And I was like, oh, awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Will I ever forget it? No. But I, cause I, I was like, yep, no, I made a mistake there. Awesome. Great. Oh, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, Our job is just to mitigate them as much as possible. Well, if someone the... points out to you that there is a mistake, you should learn from that. Mm -hmm. And I'm still confused why some people I point out that how dialogue tags work, and they still don't seem to learn. <laughs> pride and ignorance. Well, and I, I think that's a huge thing of it, is pride. People don't want to admit they buggered up, and they don't want to learn from it, because as a, if they learn from it, then it's a form of admission that well, they've wrong. made a mistake. I still haven't... There was that one novel. The guy wrote something like a 400-page novel, and um, few is, is going to enjoy this, but at every time he would do kind of a a sentence where dialogue would take place. It would be something, 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 and then Bob said semicolon new oh. paragraph. Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh, I think you just died. And it was like, and he did this, and this is how all his dialogue took place. And I was, and I, I I'm reading this, going like, are you shitting me? Like, how do you not even like how mm. you're like. I can't even. What? You're not even using, like, the proper anything. This. Uh, so before I end up making any kind of review or comment, I'm like, okay, what is the proper way to do this? Is there a proper way to do this? But, oh, it drove me. Uh, I might need crazy. some stomach medication after hearing that. Oh, gosh. I recommend NyQuil. Sorry about your ulcer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about the chest burster. Ah. <sighs> But yes, um, when an editor is telling you that you are doing this wrong, you should probably learn from that. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of the problem with people not learning from themselves is the fact that they don't they're it. so proud of their work. It's really difficult for them to understand that it's not perfect. Oh my well, God, it's like criticizing a soccer mom's child. I can also understand that, you know, you start writing the style and it's, this is just how you're used to doing it. And so when somebody <clears throat> finally tells you, hey, this is wrong, you'll be like, right. 
And then you'll forget about it. They'll be well, like, you did it again. But, I think it's also super easy to justify what your style is when you're just starting oh, out. Without that. being cognizant of what is a writing preference and style and what is actually technically wrong. So you did this here and here in your book. Yeah, that's my writing style. I'm not changing it. Yeah, you, you use semicolons instead of periods. Yeah, that's my writing style. Well, the classic example I see is is uh, McCormick. Is it? McCarthy? Yeah, who doesn't use quotation marks, right? Because he thinks it just takes up too much time what? to put them in. Oh my God, that's like this is one. Of, this is a classic American author, and I don't know how he. I, like, I think it's that example where the story is just so good that the publishing company might well, whatever we'll do it. We'll do it for you because you're a wanker. And the general consensus I've heard from other people as well: once you get used to the rhythm, it's not so bad. But it's not something you'd tell somebody else, like, oh, yeah, it's okay, you don't have to I put quotation marks. I think reading that. It would be like, I can't fucking read this. This is... I'm sure there have been people that have been like, nope. <laughs> nope, I want my money back. Take this book back, it is the suck. But just because someone else has done it probably doesn't mean you should copy them or go, well, it's my style. He jumped off the cliff, I want to. Let's Well, I'm kind of curious, um... In in your experience for with Sofa Wolf, do you ever come across the wall of it's my style and not changing it? Yep. <laughs> um, so okay, so I haven't been with Sofa Wolf terribly long, so it's more like secondhand stories that I hear. But there yep. have been cases of even where we've said, okay, hey, we're interested in a story, but we'd like to make these changes to it, and they say no, and then we go, okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. We're not going to take it then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if people are really devoted to the story the way it is. We go, yeah, it's their story. They're free to do with it what they want. We just aren't obligated to publish it. Yeah. Um, I think infamously we did have a writer once who decided to take to Twitter to complain about their rejection. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a Criticizing them on. We have not forgotten them. <laughs> um, yeah, that was probably not a good thing. Well, it's it's one of the things that we constantly, I, I think it's a broken record almost on this podcast where we say, you know, and it goes back to something that Fuzz said years and years and years ago on um, Unsheathed where it was, you know, the editors talk to each other. It's not a huge, large enough community that if you mouth off one of them, the rest of them learn and about it, and no well, one ends up wanting to work with you anymore. We brought up the example that, yeah, the editors talk. The editors go out for lunch together. Yep. Well, the publishers and the editors. Yeah, the publishers and, and the editors. And... Yeah, the, <clears throat> the publishers do business. The publishers talk with each other. The publishers yeah, do a lot of I things. I hear the thing. All I could think of is back when I was in high school, one of my friends was playing with my BB gun, and he looked at his foot and said, Farewell, pinky toe. You shall be missed. And then he shot himself. Right. <laughs> oh, I kid you not, he had no socks on and he looked at his foot and said, farewell, pinky toe, you shall be missed. And then he shot himself in the foot. Well then. It was Riley. Hmm. Hmm. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, and it's just one of those things where, you know, people have to realize that if taking your arguments and your disagreements online is not the way to do things. <laughs> Keyboard warrior! And again, this also goes to your interactions with um, editors if you can't handle it professionally, this too will end up becoming one of those stories that when the editors sit around and go, 
you know, yeah, I worked with so-and-so and this happened and that's going to, bad press is not good press. But anyway, yep. <laughs> I was just curious if uh, you had ever, ever run into that. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't necessarily want to do when they're first starting out doing anthologies is they don't seem to realize that they have the power to say, you know what? No, just no. I enjoyed your story, but if this is how it's going to go, then no. You can go take your story elsewhere. Truthfully, we uh, have been semi like a broken record on this topic, trying to drive home the fact that you can't just take it to the internet and expect everybody to pass over. The, the reverse is true as well. You don't have to accept somebody's edits <clears throat> if you don't want to. Yeah. Bow out gracefully, say thank you for your time, and move on. Yep. Anyway, continuing... So if you want to see how good structure is done, generally you can look at works of art that you already enjoy. I, I would hope that 90% of, you know, a huge amount of what you read that is already published and well-renowned is already doing that technically well-writing. That writing thing. And when you yeah. read, you can look at it and go, why is this paragraph done so well? How is it structured? Why does this sentence work so well? What are they doing that, that I can see that makes everything flow so well? Well, uh, I think... A strange piece of advice I might give is to read some more, not quite classical literature, but older literature, mm -hmm. uh, because over time, the popular trend has been to simplify language and the like. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't use these things. We just don't use them as often. And therefore, if you read something like if you read Jane Austen, you'll see a lot more different sentence construction types in a much shorter amount of time. And it can be a good way to to kind of jumpstart you on learning, okay, what are they doing here? What are you doing? Well, I was, I'm reading a book um, that's oh, an anthology that's all stories that inspired Lovecraft, and one of the oldest ones, I started reading it, and it involves the Danube, and the first, like, 20 pages of the story are just about the Danube and the setting and the people traveling down it, and it has nothing really to do with the story, and I was just like, I mean, it crafts a really beautiful scene, but nowadays people would shoot you for taking so much time describing um, the yep. setting. Yeah, Clan of the Cave Bear yep. is a big example of that, yet it still sells. Clan of the Cave Bear and Voyager. But I think Voyager only gets away with it right now because it's a TV series now. Because <laughs> those are both very popular, more classic writings, um, and they'll spend four chapters outlining a area. Details, the same with like R. Stuff. Martin, how they just I, I, talk about I a feast never, of food. And... Never read any yeah. of R. R. Martin stuff, so Martin or Tolkien? Because Tolkien was Tolkien's huge. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't read any of R. R. Martin, but I've read Tolkien. I've read the other. Uh, I mean, from, from the sounds of it, uh, George R. R. Martin will be done before his next book is. So. <laughs> No reason why he's told them what the plot is coming up to the TV so they can still make it even if he doesn't make it. Something so. like that. He, he's put it off a couple times so far, apparently. Mm. But yeah. No, he's so, writing with a hard deadline. To, to kind of go back to our point, um, reading other authors definitely and reading classics, which is something I don't, I agree, like most people don't do. 
they don't and, go back and because I mean we read classics in school and then we go we dread it in school so we don't want to go back and read them I love as doing adults. That. Am I the only person that loved comprehensive reading courses in high school? Oh, no, most uh, always like depended. Still classics. Always depended on the story. I loved it. No matter what was brought up, I always just thrived under the the comprehensive reading class. I always ate. Breeze right through it. It was my favorite. Well, um, on, and even on top of that, uh, we've said this before. If you can get in on reading a slush pile, um, that that is always a great way to learn how to and not to write things. <laughs> and it helps. Like, and and I'm going to stress this because I I picked up some slush pile readers who were interested in getting to see what it was like reading on a slush pile. All you have to do is ask. The worst they're going to say is no. The worst they're going to say is yes. <laughs> and then you're shackled to that slush pile for life. Well, I'm pretty sure that the slush pile readers I have, because it's, I think all three of the four are new to it, and you're not new to it. No. But the three of the four, they're they're now reading these stories and they're coming back to me and I'm forcing them to rank them and to kind of tell me what worked and didn't work. And it's I'm starting to get a sense of them as actual writers based off of what they're coming back to me with and what where they're finding these faults and where they're finding these positives. Each one is different and it's telling me a lot of what they concentrate on as writers themselves. Which means that they're learning on some level. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it just really, what it's doing, it's forcing them to read a variety of stories of good and bad and critique them. Mm-hmm. Which is something a lot of people just don't do. <laughs> a lot of people will, will pick up an already published book and don't feel like that they should or could critique it or proofread it. Well, you shouldn't. I don't think you should proofread it, but you can. But I mean, definitely like, most people it. won't approach any just generic any reading they do with that attitude. If that's what separates slush pile mentality with just reading mentality, I mean, if you really want to practice it, it's not nothing says that you can't pick up a newer, you know, a newer author, or a budding author, and read their book as if you were working on a slush pile with them. Oh. I mean, it, it gets frustrating in the end because then you're like, how did this slip past the editors? But you know, you will experience that a lot, especially if you go to. Uh... Indie pub places. Oh, no, I avoid that. I'm not psychotic. I, I'm talking, like, mainstream publications. I mean, I, I still find things that I'm in a book. It's like, how did how did they miss that? I, Shit. I used to buy a lot of books from Smashwords. I had to stop. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite program my, my favorite story from it was the one review I wrote where I said, this person did absolutely no editing on the story, and I got an email from them going, you're right, I didn't. Do you want to edit my story? <laughs> and I went, no. Oh, hell no. No, no. No, 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 no. 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 You're pay me no for it. Yeah, that's because how much it is, it ain't enough. Money. It was it, I thought she was like a 13-year-old girl writing a vampire story. She was a 73-year-old woman writing a vampire story. Same and only that a Mary Sue vampire story. Same thing. Were there any specific issues we wanted to address? You've got sentence structures and paragraph structure and flow. That was a terrible sentence. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked a bit about that. I don't know if we touched as much on flow, but that's also really allowed having other people read your work and making sure that the sentences that follow each other at least have some sort of flow. Yeah, that would probably be the (laughs) word I'm looking for. (laughs) Yeah, I think... The idea of having the end of one sentence starting to dovetail into the next. 
because these sentences, again, within a paragraph are meant to be little snippets of the idea, little individual images that add up to the full idea of the paragraph. So somehow you want to progress from one sentence to the next in a reasonable manner. And the best way to do that is say, okay, well, at the end of a sentence, you have put forward some idea, and this should be beginning to be addressed or continued on or deliberately moved aside onto a different path at the start of the next sentence. Yeah, it should just make sense. Reading one reads into the next, which reads into the next, which reads into the next. Um, and then that goes into paragraph, which read into the next, read into the next. Yeah, and all that should form like a complete scene, and your scenes should flow. And yeah, then you have a book. <laughs> the um, you do it enough times. Hold yeah. on, is one, two, three. <laughs> the um, dialogue tags and commas is one of the ones that uh, I happen to notice a lot, and it's one of those weird ones where it's like you have people who understand how it works. And then you have people who have no concept of how it works. Much I like had my eggs previous for breakfast, exam. comma, she nodded. <laughs> I have eggs for breakfast, she nodded. My, my rule of thumb is if, if you can tell me what you ate for breakfast using that, that dialogue tag, then you can use a comma. <laughs> <laughs> no, if, if you can like laugh out your breakfast, then sure, you can use a comma, but I don't want to see you nodding your breakfast. <laughs> we, I, I guess I mean, we, this kind of goes back to the idea of um, understanding the structure of a sentence. When you use a dialogue tag, when you said, she said X, your X is the direct object of the sentence she said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although it's weird in that, according to we offset it by a comma, which is not something we normally do with direct objects in English, but oh well. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you parse it down and what it actually means, like why we're not doing a period, because if you put a period and then you just have a sentence where she said, suddenly there's no object for that verb anymore. And so we right. have to combine it back with the sentence, which is also why you can't, you know, nod your breakfast, which is why you have to separate those two. And everybody just took a really boring yawn, I see. <laughs> direct objects, man. They're interesting. Uh, no. Object almost the noun. Almost object object indirect objects. But I sure am thinking it loudly. <laughs> There's also the issue of the Oxford comma, which I don't think we're going to get into, but we, we, it is important We get it, to Ocean. We want to use the Oxford comma. I want to use the Oxford comma when it's used to resolve ambiguity. Oh my god, what did I just say? I know. God, do you ever... You weren't listening either? Um, Though I I was noticing the whole uh, dots versus dashes. Well, I was going to get into the differences between British and American English, but... Oh, we could do that too. Yeah, yeah. Or do we got an Oxford comma that first? Yeah, put a a dot in it. Yeah. (laughs) Put a dot in it. With any kind of difference between American and British English or any other uh, regional variation, uh, the most important thing is to stay consistent. And then probably the second most important thing is stay consistent to whatever place you're getting published in says to be consistent. In. Um, so, for example, uh, Sofowulf, we do everything in American English for punctuation, but we allow British English spellings if it's regional appropriate. So, for example, uh, if someone says a story that takes place in Canada 
or in uh, the UK or in Australia, we'd go, okay, British spellings make sense. So my neighborhoods can connect, can have color. Yes. <laughs> Your color with you. Exactly. And neighborhoods. All I have to do is have them drinking Timmy's. <laughs> and doing the good old-fashioned curling and lacrosse. Lacrosse! But yeah, it, it is important. Do, do you think it's like horribly important, or is it okay if you, as an American publisher, get something that's um, with British punctuation? I think that is probably the least of our concerns. <laughs> to be like, yeah, we can add in a comma. <laughs> yeah. Although, I, I will say that the dialogue tag difference, or what is it? No, it's the way that you place quotation marks. Yeah, versus... quotation marks and commas are different. Gah! <laughs> so I have to fix it all the time. It's a fatty pangolin. Because you guys, uh, you put the quotation mark, the period's inside the quotation mark, right? Yes. Yeah. What? Yes. Yeah, that's the American. American is you oh. go period, quotation mark, while the British is quotation, quotation mark, mark period. period. Because the period is the end of the sentence. Yeah. Weird. I don't know where I actually stand I've, on I've that. Never been, the other I've never been clear about that. I've always I've put always... the period inside the... the, um, yeah. the, print, uh, the... Hmm. Why are people having this argument? <laughs> that, that's honestly the more confusing one. Comma. Yeah, I don't because give a shit. Surely the Oxford comma is sexier. Oh jeez! It's got that little. It curl deals with strippers. It sounds <laughs> real. Commas have curves. Anyway, back to yeah, our dashes. Down the list. We've got my favorite dots versus dashes, <laughs> which people still don't understand. If your person is being interrupted, it's a dash. If they're pausing and trailing off, it's dots. Yes. I, uh, I would say that's obvious, but it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even beyond that, the there's various different ways of transitioning mid-sentence. You can use ellipses, you can use dashes, you can use parentheses. There are a bunch of different ways of doing this, and they all have different subtexts to what they mean. Mm -hmm. Again, the ellipses imply that there's kind of a trail, a bit of a pause, whereas the dashes imply kind of a sudden jump from one thought to another. And if you're using parentheses and you're going... It's more like an aside. Well, I'm talking about this, but now I'm suddenly talking about this. But now I'm back to my main point. Yeah. But I digress. But really, learn. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 it just gets my hackles up so much when some of the characters are like, well, we could go... Janie snapped, query to the mall! And you're like... Wait, they'll even have, like, Janie interrupted. And you'll be like... Well, she interrupted that she shouldn't be pausing. Yeah. And I think people are rarely taught sort of the significance of dashes or, or semicolons or anything like that. They know what the ellipsis does. It's essentially... <laughs> no, they don't. It, kind of. <laughs> it's, it's it's they know it wouldn't work there. It's essentially a longer period. Like something... As someone referred to it as anime syndrome at one point. <laughs> and yeah. It's just because yeah. it's just... You see it all the time in, in manga or like visual comics or anything because that's where it sort yeah. of belongs. There's so many other things you can do in writing to sig signify a pause or an interruption that don't have to be those things. It's my overabuse of it. My my favorite thing to do is talk to non-writers about M dashes <clears throat> and just watch their faces, their eyes glaze over. 
And then you say end dashes, and they're just, then they just fall over. And... Like, don't you I mean end dashes? I did this on a Christmas dinner with my family. I was ta- <laughs> just talking about end dashes, and they're like, what? And I had to pull off the Wikipedia, I had to explain the whole thing. As Wikipedia like, states, you did classic like, Tarl. I'm like, you're all here. Let's go to Wikipedia. Old man Tarl yells at you Wikipedia. But it's a case Old man Tarl yells at Wikipedia. Exactly. <laughs> But it's a case of you guys, they're all readers, so they've all experienced what an M-dash is and does, but they aren't actually aware of what it does or how it's used. They also tend to be so sparsely used because those who use them tend to know what they're for. No one's going to use them if they don't know what the hell they're doing. But if you're going to use them or you're going to end up bracketing things in like commas, it's like you have to be consistent within your story. Don't just flip between rule sets. That makes any sense. Nope. <laughs> Thanks. I love you. <laughs> How about Interra Banks? I don't know what those hey. are for. Yeah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Sounds like you got a bad I taste like in your mouth. the noises he makes. Let's keep it. <laughs> um. Yeah. Interra Banks. Bangs. Bang. Like. It seems to be something it's, new with our culture that is just like, oh my god! Exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark. I can't stand the question mark, exclamation a use. But that use is extremely narrow given that more often than not you want to do something else with them. Like, you want to have an exclamation mark or you want to have a question mark. You don't want to do the two combined. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interrobang is so informal that I feel much better about having an exclamation mark followed by a question mark than I would actually using an interrobang. Hmm. Interesting. Passive voice. <laughs> As opposed to aggressive voice. Ooh. Or dominant voice. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> How good are you at passive voice, Tom? Terrible. <laughs> Please tell us what passive voice is, Tom. Braddy! Sorry, I literally just came, I just got the joke. <laughs> oh dear. It took the time for me to take the drink and set the cup down before I went, wait, that's why it's funny. Ah, <laughs> uh, shit. This will be a very entertaining podcast. Oh, they usually are. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot yes, of editing to do. The um, I actually got taught passive voice by Reachan <laughs> in my first Roll the Alpha story. Is because I at the time had no concept of passive voice, and then he brought it up to me and explained it to me, and I was like, "Oh, now you see it everywhere." Now I see it everywhere. <laughs> now I know what I'm looking for. Yeah, so I mean, for the listeners of the podcast who don't know, uh, the passive voice is when the subject of the sentence isn't the thing that's performing the action. No, um, its, its verb is to exist. <laughs> the bottle was falling when the bottle fell. Not the glass. That's not passive voice, isn't it? No. Oh, oh, I lost already. <laughs> 
Bad. You're using a copula and a gerund rather than just using the verb itself. Okay. Give me it's a better example. That's the voice. Um, well, since we were talking about breakfast earlier, uh, so example of active voice, I ate breakfast. Uh, example of passive voice, the breakfast was eaten by me. Oh, mm-hmm. oh yes. yes. So in that case, the <clears throat> subject of the sentence is the breakfast, but the breakfast wasn't doing the eating. The breakfast was eaten. But yeah, so the passive voice, because it's it's seen as weaker in that often if you have a sentence where you've written it in passive voice, you should be writing it in active voice because it's stronger. The 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 subject of the sentence is the one doing the action, which is the way it should be. Um, and this has kind of become such a common thing. It's like and we talked about the five paragraph essay earlier and this is a similar thing where it's something that's just taught as a part of standard high school English class where, oh, you have passive voice. You need to get rid of that. You need to use a stronger sentence. And that's not always the case. There are a lot of times where passive voice is bad because you could have used the active voice and it would have been stronger. But there's lots of cases as well where you want to say, okay, well, I am using the passive voice because I want to weaken the notion of what the subject is. Or maybe you don't even want to let us know what the subject is. Um, there's cases where you say, and now, of course, I'm completely blanking on the specific example, <laughs> where the subject, the thing that did the action, is not actually known. Uh, um, the person was murdered. Right? We don't know who did right. the murder, mm-hmm. and then that would be too easy. Um, Captain Mustard in the library with the candelabra. <laughs> so, yeah, th- there are cases where passive voice has a very good purpose. It weakens the doer of the action, or it can be used to obscure the doer of the action. But in many cases, you want to use active voice, not passive voice. It's not something that's yeah technically wrong as much as just technically weak. Yes. Hmm. And do you want to go into your into the big fancy word copulas? Um. Sure, I can. Um. I'm probably mispronouncing that because I don't think I've ever heard it pronounced out loud, but it's forms of the, of the word to be right. Be being been is are was were all that kind of good stuff. Um, so that's another example of something that's typically seen as weak writing. If you're using too much of it, um, but it doesn't have to be again. It's everything has its specific use in the English language. Um, there's just been lots of cases where you are just, plainly describing things. The house is red. Um, the win- the windows were tall, that sort of thing, where it's like, okay, yes, you're describing things, but not in a very interesting way. Um, punch up your language. Don't keep using to be all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's a writing style that's called E prime, where you just completely get rid of it. You just say, I'm never going to use this. Hmm. Um, but on the other hand, it's perfectly possible to make use of forms of to be, all over the place. And again, I go back and be my fanboy and say, look, just go read Ursula Le Guin. She can go through whole paragraphs where the entire, the only verb she uses is, is our was were being being been. <laughs> Interesting. So, okay. Like if I can whip out an example here, whip it so out. I have, I have the wizard of earth sea in front of me. <laughs> And the opening line is reasonably famous. And the opening line goes, The island of Gaunt, 
single mountain that lifts its peak a mile above the storm-wracked Northeast Sea is a land famous for wizards. And it's a really great opening line, and the verb is is. (coughs) If you know how to use them right, they can be great. It's just a matter of knowing how to use them correctly. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I learned something today. So did I. (laughs) (laughs) One of the nice things about um, learning the rules and understanding the rules is that once you understand the rules and how to utilize them, you can then start to bend or break them. And you guys have examples here. Well, like I already brought up with Cormac, who doesn't use quotation marks. Yeah, and then kind of one of the classic examples of breaking all the rules of good grammar and sentence structure, and even spelling for that matter, is Flowers for Algernon. Uh, which, if you have not heard the story, let me try and describe it as best I can without spoiling. Um, the story is about um, a scientific discovery of an intelligence-enhancing procedure. And the narrator of the story starts out as someone who is not very intelligent, and it's written kind of in diary format. So you read this person's words, and he can't spell properly. He doesn't know how to use sentence structure. It's kind of very hard to get track of what he's saying. But then as he undergoes this procedure, he starts being able to write more clearly and more fluidly and with more precise grammar and so on and so forth. And so you get to visibly watch this transformation taking place within the way they use grammar, Hmm. which is kind of amazing. Hmm. That sounds like a neat concept. Yeah, that actually sounds like a fun read. It's also a sad read, so fair point. Oh, well, then... (laughs) (laughs) Stuff it. Um, And then, because I always like kind of going back to doing examples in the fandom, because it is a fandom podcast of people you can read in the fandom to see what they do. Um, I kind of, I reference Kyle Gold just because he's probably the most well, or most read person in the fandom. His yeah. books all over the place. Most people have, have seen it and read what his stuff is. Um, and he writes very clearly. He does great uh, technical writing skills. Uh, it's a joy to copy edit his stuff, I swear. <laughs> uh, because there's so little you have to do. Um, and then as a, a converse to that, someone who writes and breaks a bunch of rules, uh, Malcolm Cross, who also goes by the name Foosball. Uh, wow. He writes stories where on occasion he'll just say, well, heck with that grammar, we don't need it anymore. Um, and he makes it work. So he's someone else I would strongly recommend on that point. And your point about this cockroach narrator that oh, you can't remember the name of. I actually was um, Yeah, the, one of the ones I was thinking of, we read it in school and I looked it up and apparently it was like from the 20s or 30s, but there was Archie the Cockroach. And he would write stories. Apparently the, the, the guy who published the stories, he would just put the, what he said was he put the typewriter out at night and go to bed and the cockroach would come out and hurl himself at the keys to type the stories. And because of this, the, the cockroach can't, uh, none of the stories were, were capitalized because, you know, you, he, the cockroach can't hold down the shift key and then also hit a button. So none of the stories were capitalized to keep that style of it's just a cockroach just jumping from key to key. All I can think is Jiminy Cricket. Cute. 
That's actually not a bad idea. It's a nice angle. It sounds adorable. Yeah. And of course, you know, when I read this in the document, it said cockroach narrator, and my mind immediately leapt to, you know, the metamorphosis. And then you said YA, and I just went, nope, that's not <laughs> Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, Uncle Kage also writes. <laughs> that's true. Although I don't know if he's written anything from the perspective of a cockroach narrator. I don't think so. It's dark. I like it. Ah, someone turn on the light, <laughs> So, if you, before we let you go, any last advice you have? <clears throat> Nothing is occurring to me offhand. Kind of talked about a lot of things here. Um, Hopefully the audience is still awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll stick with it. It's, it's a bit of a dry topic, I understand. But it, like we said at the beginning, it's, it's an important one to consider when you're yeah. ready. <laughs> I mean... Okay, so maybe what I would give as my last advice, um, I think that I've mentioned this at panels before, is that um, technical writing, along with any other aspect of story writing, is not a make-or-break deal. But part of trying to get published is, and this kind of sounds very bad to say, but part of it is trying not to get rejected. (laughs) Because, you know... Sometimes we've had a bad day, we've gone through too many stories, you know, we're tired, we don't want to have to make a huge amount of effort, and don't give us reasons for thinking, eh, well, maybe we can skip over this story. Suddenly, you smack yeah. up effort. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very easy way to break the immersion of your story. And once, yeah. once, once you're out of that immersion, as an editor or a slush pile reader, you just start to stop caring and if I can't get back in because, you know, technically it just wasn't sound, it's, it doesn't matter how well it is. You've only got one shot. Yeah. Yeah. And first impressions are the most important ones. Very and important. If there are massive technical errors in the opening sentence, it tends not to come off very well at all. It does yeah. not instill confidence in the least. No. Boob hat. I, I don't think we've ever rejected a story based on the opening sentence. <laughs> but oh, I'm have sorry, accepted. accepted. Oh yeah, have you ever accepted <laughs> have... a story on the open acceptance? Sentence? Um, we came dang close once, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so once again, thank you, Fugue, for coming on to our podcast. Of course. Um, well, also, congratulations on the Ursanama, Ursanama, Ursanama. <laughs> Ursanama. I like this. The Ursanamas. Congratulations on the Ursa Major nominee. <laughs> As well, uh, myself and Fugue himself are two of the co-founders of the RAR, the Regional uh, Anthropomorphic Writers Retreat. (laughs) I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we've been working on this with the help of many others. And year one has already been completed. We're already open for submissions for year two. And it's free to submit. Uh, Next year, the... The retreat is going to be near, what was it, South Lake Tahoe? Yeah, somewhere around Lake Tahoe, yeah. Yeah, it looks beautiful. And then once the retreat is done, if you want, you can go to Biggest Little Furcon right over in Reno nearby. So if you're interested in that, go check out the website. I believe it's rar.community. Yeah, something like that. I completely forgot at this point. Yeah, or Google something. (laughs) We'll figure it out. <laughs> Edit and post. I don't know. <laughs> but we're, yeah, if we're ending this podcast really well. It's a very strong <laughs> ending. Actually. Oh, oh, you should see the other <laughs> endings. Um, otherwise, yeah, thanks again for coming. 
And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Bye. Yes, thank you. Bye. Bye, buddy. Mark. Cat. Mark. Cat. Mark. Mark. Thank you. Where Mark. are we? Rar. Rar. Uh, <laughs> I, I think we're. Oh, that reminds me. I gotta put. We should talk about. We should say Rar's back open. <laughs> I, I think we're at. How can people learn right to technically well? <laughs> how can people learn right to technically well? Yes. You heard me. <laughs> this is why you get other people to read your stuff. Beta <laughs> So now that we've talked... So how can I learn oh too technically well? <laughs> I write technically well. By other people learning. <laughs> write technically too well? Too technically with writers well. How can oh, people learn to too tec- well? Learn write to technically well. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... <laughs> how you're doing do, your so again. How does one... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, how does one learn right to technically well? (laughs) (laughs) You want to give me more alcohol?